Welcome to the Knit British Podcast. On this journey, exploring connections of localness in wool and knitting from sheep to skein, I am your host, Louise Scully. Hello and welcome to episode 118 of the Knit British Podcast. And welcome in to uh, an episode that is a little different to our usual format. Last year, I let two of my worlds collide a little bit. Rarely do I talk about my work and non-nitty life on this podcast. However, when one works with special collections material and finds a little bundle of letters about a craft that you have never heard of, well... One simply must share that on a wider level. This bundle of letters was found in an archive box in the School of Scottish Studies archive. They contained 15 letters from members of the Scottish Women's Rural Institute to the editor of Scottish Home and Country magazine. And they were in response to an article from January 1959 seeking information on the craft of cliquet gloves. Well, I work at the School of Scottish Studies Archives and we were unsure as to why SSSA had come to have these letters. Predominantly, the archive is an extensive sound collection, uh, the core of which is ethnological fieldwork collected by staff and students over the past almost 70 years. There was no note of donation to us at that time, uh, but to my own craft-loving eyes, they were a treasure indeed. Something I had not heard of before, and I was hooked to know more about it. Along with the letters, there was a copy of the original article, which described the craft, and it had a call to action for more information. It appears that cricket gloves were predominantly made by male farm workers in the 19th century in Scotland, made by way of a handmade flat hook with a tiny head, which created a very dense but elastic fabric. And it was evident that this craft was seen as distinct from knitting or crochet. Uh, In the letters, respondents from all over Scotland talked about the craft being handed on by male members of the family. So much of this interested me. Despite a small resurgence in the interest in cliquing, thanks to the response to that article, it is something that has now been relegated to the mist of crafts past. And I felt that there was an opportunity to bring these letters out to talk about this lost craft. And I first did that at In the Loop at 10 uh, in July 2018, where I talked about cliquet gloves in the context of that theme which was textiles in collections but I soon discovered that it was not only important to discuss the collection as an archival find but there was an opportunity to have people creatively engage with cliquet gloves and to create something tangible and meaningful from the recollections and recipes of the craft. 
for the University of Edinburgh's Festival of Creative Learning this year, which was in February. Uh, I organised an event where I could talk about examples of handmaking in the archives at SSSA, but I could also give focus to the clique gloves and the respondents who felt it was so important to preserve information about them. I also felt that a practical making session was needed using the recipes and methods noted down in the letters. For this and for so much more, I am indebted to my friend and colleague in clique, Dr Alison Main, who led the crafting session. And together we enabled a day of cooking in the archives and I wanted to share some of that with you on the podcast. If you visit the show notes at www.knitbritish.net slash ep118, you can view images so you can have a look at what clique work looks like. As well as my talk, I also intended to bring you a discussion with the group after the craft session. But unfortunately, the recording muse was not with me. Um, What I have done is recorded a separate chat with Alison and with one of the attendees, my friend and colleague, Caroline Milligan, just a few weeks after the event to discuss the practical side of clicking and the ways in which participants were able to engage with the clicky glove material that we have in the archives. I'm not going to offer a transcription of this whole episode at the moment. In fact, I hope to be able to publish it in the future. But I do hope that you enjoy listening to this talk about cricket gloves and what it may spark in your interest or even perhaps something from your own knowledge of hooked crafts. If so, please do comment at the show notes. Alison and I would absolutely love to hear about your own knowledge of cricket gloves or anything that is discussed in the podcast today. So let's go back to February 2019 to the library in the School of Scottish Studies archives where I am about to give a talk about this collection of letters on the topic of cliquet gloves. craft from the School of Scottish Studies archive. It's not a physical item, though you are all going to engage with it uh, in a creative way and create physical representations of it later on. Uh, But I want to talk to you about a collection of letters which I discovered with some excitement in this subject box, which is on costume. We have subject boxes down in our search room which were started at some point in our early history. Uh, There are subjects like calendar customs, music, games, folklore, local history, subjects which are important to our central interests, 
uh, and our archive collections here at the School of Scottish Studies. Inside them are ephemera, clippings from newspapers, pamphlets. Um, these boxes weren't added much to in recent years, but they're a great secondary source to our central index. Uh, inside this particular box, I discovered that there was a small packet with which was written Cricket Gloves SWRI letters, uh, and inside were 15 letters dated from January to April 1959, addressed to the editor of a magazine, Scottish Home and Country. The content of the letters was on a very particular kind of glove-making in Scotland, made by way of a handmade flat hook, and at one point made primarily by men. I said I, said I discovered it um, like it was some sort of treasure, and that feels pretty accurate. <laughs> um, if you've ever worked with collections before, and I know some of you have, or you've done any kind of research, it's always exciting when you find something that feels special or relevant to your interests or work. And my interests as a knitter were piqued, as were my spidey senses when it comes to special collections. My senses were piqued because there was also a question of how we came to have these letters. We don't have archives uh, belonging to Scottish Home and Country or the SWRI here, so nobody here was quite sure how they came to us. So I was hooked, you might say. <laughs> the SWRI, or, or SWRI, uh, is, was, I should say, the Scottish Women's Rural Institute, now just the SWI. And the letters were all in response to an article which was published in Scottish Women Country. This magazine was the official publication of the SWRI. It was a monthly publication which featured roundups from all of the branches of the Institute and it included recipes, patterns and histories of local places. Uh, a copy of the article was included with the letters in our collection and you all have a copy of that article, but I will summarise. The editor, Miss Isabel Horn, had received a request from a Mrs Davies, who at one point in time had visited a craft centre in Edinburgh and had seen a curious pair of gloves which she noted were not knit and not crochet, but made of wool. These were described as cleaket gloves, uh, but as the items were not had not fit her, she left them, uh, didn't buy them, but she'd not forgot about them, and sometime later uh, she went back to see if they had more, and she was told that the man who had made them had moved away. Mrs Davis' interest was piqued enough to write to another Scottish magazine, uh, Scottish Field, to see if she could find out about the practice. Uh, two earlier correspondents were able to tell her that this was an old Scottish craft, made by way of a handmade flat hook, a drawing of which was included, uh, and which produced a very particular fabric. A correspondent from Perthshire could tell that the craft was practised by farm workers who created hooks from a piece of wood uh, and odd bits of wool to make crude gloves for their own comfort. Uh, and the other of our correspondents was in her 90s at the time and was able to send her a swatch of the fabric, but Mrs Davies was unable to replicate that with a crochet hook. The stitch was described as so, like double crochet, but taken up with both threads at the top of the stitch 
and with the proper hook, this produces a very stout and firm fabric, which still has the flexibility necessary for gloves. Now, the passing of time is not exact in this article, but as time wore on, it appears Mrs Davis was able to procure herself a copy of the hook and was reported in the article as being busy clicking away at gloves for the whole family. But she was still curious about the, the craft, whether it was still practised by others, if it was seen as distinct from knitting and crochet, uh, and the article closed with a call to action. The editor writes, It seems there is a chance for our craft workers to do a useful piece of research work into an old Scottish craft, so ask all of your friends if they remember clicking gloves and anything about them. And it would appear from these letters that in 1959... Clique work was most definitely part of living memory of the respondents of these letters. And again, you'll get to see some of these letters later today. Uh, the 15 letters had come from all over mainland Scotland and one from over the border in Cumbria. The majority of the respondents were women aged 40 to mid-70s. There was a mixture of responses and several points of interest which were raised in the uh, article were confirmed in these letters. Practitioners at one point were mostly male from a farming background dating from at least the mid-19th century. There was indeed a handmade hook to create the distinct fabric which was made from a great many different materials and as we'll go on we'll see that the method of clicking was passed down orally and never written down. One writer, Elizabeth from Dalbeatie, said that she had not heard from clicking since she was a child in Berwickshire, uh, not for 60 years or so. So that would have been around 1899, 1900. Uh, and she said that while she had no knowledge of the tool used, she explained that her sister and herself had a pair each made from red yarn. Uh, which was made by a shepherd who'd explained he had made the gloves whilst, quotes, walking with a sheep. Most of the correspondents had knowledge of cricket gloves being made by men on farms as a means to pass time, but also had living memory of both parents making cricket gloves and selling cricket items. <coughs> Mrs Crawford from New Cumnock was taught to click by her grandmother, who had in turn been taught by her father, and Mrs Crawford's great-grandfather had worked on a farm in South Lanarkshire, and she was told that he made gloves for all the family. So she thought that the people most likely to know about the craft were, um, quotes, some of the old shepherds or farm workers in lonely places, uh, as I think it was by doing this sort of work that they were able to fill in the long, lonely evenings. Another SWRI member who wished to be described as an old member from the borders, um, she said, both my parents did them. I know that men, I know men and women who still do them. Farm workers used to wear them, but they're not so good for tractor men because they can't grip the steering wheel as well with them as with leather gloves. Mrs Bowman from the uh, SWRI near Bankery said that her father was the glover of the family and he was handed down the skill from his father who had worked as an overseer on a Midlothian farm. She notes that the making of gloves of this kind was very common uh, amongst shepherds in the mid-19th century. 
Mrs Bowman had not learned from her father, but she knew the method and she thought that she would be able to create a glove if she had a hook, which she did indeed and would send it to the editor. Uh, it appeared in the March 1959 issue um, on the slide there, but that glove, along with other gloves and hook samples that were said to be included with some of these letters, did not make it into our collection, sadly. Uh, and there's another quote there from Mrs McGregor from the Invernessure Swirry, who she said, these are very warm, hard-wearing gloves and very popular with the menfolk. Um, another quote which um, backs up the idea that this was uh, a pastime commonly done at one point by men. Here are a few more examples of the letters. Uh, Mrs Hay from Kelso wrote to say that her 82-year-old 82, grandfather made gloves and in 1959 he still was making gloves for the family and to sell and she said that he made them for all hand sizes. Uh, Mrs Crawford again from Ayrshire who mentioned that the method for making gloves that was outlined in the article um, which was like double crochet but taken up with both threads at the top of the stitch and um, she confirmed that that was the method that she was familiar with. Uh, and here is a letter from uh, Miss Hogg from Kukubri, writing on the 8th of February 1959. The pencil notes on this letter here are presumably the editors. Uh, in her letter, she doesn't say if her grandfather worked on a farm, but she says he was from Angus, where he presumably learned the craft. And she says, quote, he sat by day length making gloves. He died in 1931 and was crippled with arthritis for over 40 years. She said he'd spent his time making gloves and also brushes. Uh, when it comes to pattern and method, all of the respondents told of being passed on the skill from relative to child, either personally or their relatives have been taught this way. There's no mention of anything being written down at all. The language of cliquing is very interesting as well. In Scotland, a clique is a, a, a word for a hook, uh, often a large hook which was fixed into the walls or roof beams of Scottish vernacular housing for attaching lamps or suspending a pot over an open fire. Uh, it also has been used for hooks in general. It can also pertain to the head of a shepherd's crook as well as meaning to link arms with one another, to be cliqued with. In the case of this craft, cliquet can be defined as hooked or a fabric made by way of a hook. I will look at that hook in the next slide, but the language of cliquing lends itself to the idea that it was a distinct craft. Uh, the language used in the letters is he cliqued, he made cleek work, um, sometimes it's simply he produced them, he did them, not he knit, not he crocheted uh, in general when, when uh, the craft of their um, fathers and forebears is, is mentioned. More evidence that traditionally cliquing was its own craft is that some of the respondents said that their male relatives cliqued gloves but also knit and crocheted other items. The terms are not mutually exclusive here. In fact, in a later uh, issue of Scottish Home and Country, there was an image of cleaked gloves with a knit rib 
Cuff, and Mrs Gilroy from Ballantrae wrote in the April that this would not have been part of the cricket gloves. Her grandfather, who died in 1905, aged 85, cleaked mittens for her but also knit socks, two distinct crafts. Uh, she says in her letter that she wore both the socks and the gloves at her first day of school. When respondents could cleek themselves, some of them would allow the word crochet uh, in to their descriptions to describe their own practice of the craft, but kept cliquing for what to refer to what their male relatives did, which is interesting. Perhaps it was because they could see the connection between it and it being a hooked craft like crochet. I'm not sure if many were using a crochet hook for cliquing like you will do today. Uh, many described themselves participating in a craft with hooks that were passed down to them. Uh, and as I've already mentioned, hooks could be made out of a great many things. Mrs Bowman described her father's hook as being made from the handles of old toothbrushes. Mrs Crawford from Ayrshire owned a hook made by her great-grandfather, made in the 1820s from Ramshorn. A correspondent from the Scottish Borders mentions that her 82-year-old grandfather made gloves and his own hooks from bone egg spoons. Mrs Crichton in Dumfrieshire said that hooks were small and flat and not much longer than a man's thumb. She also mentions that there are other items that could be cleaked, not just gloves. Um, Mrs Crichton says... Uh, her father made gloves, mufflers and tam shanters all with a small hook. Mrs Skeen in Aberdeenshire said the cleek or hook that we used was made from bone. Sometimes it was made with a cleek at both ends. I have seen some made from broken bone egg spoon handles or a piece of strong fencing wire. Again, hooks were said to have been sent in with some of these letters, but there is no evidence of them being in an archive. What there is, is the rather simplistic drawing of one which accompanies the article in the magazine. Sometimes the clique hook was simply called hooks. Uh, sometimes the clique. Uh, Mrs Whitehead from Stirling gave the clique hook another name, a punny. Um, and she said that it was fashioned from an old tooth comb. She says, my grandfather and mother made gloves with a clique, which they called a punny. Uh, had the punny got lost during the summer's rest, my mother made another. She bought a small tooth comb, softened it in hot water, shaped it, polished it, and it was ready for use. Interesting that she mentions the summer's rest, indicating that this was possibly uh, for Mrs Whitehead's family uh, a winter craft. Here in this slide we see a couple of close-up images of cricket gloves. I think even if you weren't someone who knitted or crocheted, you might agree that this fabric does look quite unique, distinct uh, and sturdy, as respondents too had described it. Uh, that image at the bottom is the one from Scottish Home and Country in March 1959 with the knitted cuff. Uh, I'm going to read um, out uh, some of the recipes for clicking that the respondents had passed on to uh, Scottish Home and Country. So, uh, 
Again, Mrs Davies in the Scottish Home and Country magazine in January 1959 said, like double crochet but taken up with both threads at the top of the stitch, and with the proper hook this produces a very stout and firm fabric, which still has the flexibility necessary for gloves. Miss Fraser from Inch SWRI said, the older people, especially the men, held the hook and the wool in the right hand, which was possibly the original way. Thus, you hold the work in the left hand and the hook and the wool in the right. Insert the hook in the stitch, wool round the back and pull through the two loops on the hook. And the old member from the borders uh, said, you hold the clique and also the wool in the right hand and take the outside stitch of the chain. When you increase for the thumb, let out one place every round taking the outside stitch and then taking the one at the back. It is raised up a bit and helps you keep straight. Then the let out goes up the back of the glove and makes a tidy seam. So again, there was no written pattern for cliquet gloves in 1959 when the respondents were writing these letters. But uh, like mentioned there, many of the respondents gave methods or recipes and mentioned how cliquing was carried out. I should say that there is not much um, mention of material when it comes to preferred choice for yarn from these respondents. Quotes, wool is the, the universal word and it's not too much of a stretch to think the farmers were just using what was available to them locally. Um, Mrs. Brown had cricket gloves, sorry, Mrs. Bowen had cricket gloves made by her father in the 1930s which were made in a yarn called Star Silco, uh, which was a crochet cotton made by a company called Ardens. This is the only reference to a specific yarn. Weight of wool is not mentioned either. From our letters, we know that cleat gloves featured a cleat cuff and have four fingers and a thumb. Uh, most of the letters make mention of the fact that the hook and the yarn are both held in the right hand and that the yarn is brought round the back of the hook before pulling the stitch through. There is variation with some of the methods with regards to which loops are cleaked into and how the work was held. Again, this is evident of how the craft was transmitted. Uh, and in our letters, the same way that the method was taught to them, the respondents are trying their best to put those methods from memory into writing for the readers of Scottish Home and Country in 1959. By far, the method which is clearest is a letter from Carlisle, and I have to say, it took me quite some time to realise that this respondent was actually male. I'd failed to notice at the bottom of the letter, put in brackets, Mr. Um, Mr. T. Patton from Carlisle had read the 1959 article whilst visiting his sister-in-law and wanted to share his knowledge, but he said that he had learned so long ago, he didn't know where he had learned it, or who, who he had learned it from. And that is a real shame, because it would have been interesting to know if it was a man, if it was a relative, if it was somebody from a farming background, or someone Scottish, because as you'll note, this is one of um, the correspondents from outside Scotland. Uh, another thing that interests me is that he's the only person to consistently use the word crochet. Uh, he only uses cricket gloves to mention the article name. Um, 
So is it clear if Mr Patton learned this as a crochet method uh, or it's just what he refers to it as? But nevertheless, his um, pattern is very clear to follow and his instructions are as follows. The way I was taught was to do a chain just long enough to go round your wrist and then join the ends. The first row or two are done by crocheting into the back loops of the stitch. This is supposed to give strength for some reason. Lots of people crochet into both loops, I believe. Then the crocheting is switched to the front loop and continued to the bottom of the thumb. To increase for the thumb, crochet twice into one stitch, then the same into the next and continue as normal. On coming around to the first double stitch, crochet twice into that, then a single stitch, then a double again. Each time on coming around, do one more stitch until finally the increase is sufficient to go around the thumb. Join the ends and continue up the thumb until long enough. Decrease by crocheting two stitches together until finished off. The middle of the hand is then picked up and continued until the bottom of the fingers is reached. The stitches are then divvied up for the fingers and these continued until long enough. It was a very quick way of producing a pair of gloves. They are both warm and comfortable. I have never known a pattern being written down. They were just often made to be worn and I believe this was commonly done by men. He closes by saying, this may not be of any help to you, but at least it's a move towards tracing further details. Um, that's another striking thing about these letters, the wish to help. To have clicking become popular again, to have people learn it, um, it's that drawing out of information for others to benefit from. Um, Mrs Crawford from Ayrshire was another who closed her letter by saying, I hope the rural members, members will remember the motto, if you know a good thing, pass it on, and I shall look forward to reading more about this craft in the next magazine. Well, in the March 1959 issue of Scottish Woman Country, there indeed was more about the craft. These letters, the 15 that we have here and a few others, made up an entire page of reminiscences and knowledge about clicking. <coughs> in the April edition that same year, next to a column on interesting ways to cook fish, <laughs> there appears again an image of the clicket glove and a coupon. The caption in the photograph says, a hook and instructions will be sent to any member who completes and returns the coupon. The only condition is that members who take advantage of this offer should make one pair of gloves for the sales table at the ACWW conference. That was the Associated Country Women of the World conference. Uh, and it closes by saying, wouldn't it be a good idea if these traditional Scottish gloves could be a feature at the next event? It is fascinating that the craft of cooking became such an interest to the SWRI, their magazine and its readers at this time. It's wonderful that the editor realised the importance of having the right implement to make the gloves with and that they had had one recreated from the original article drawing. Um, it, certainly, <coughs> it certainly seemed that members took up the offer by filling in the coupon. Um, I don't know this from the collection of letters that we have here, as the last letter we have dated is April 1959, but it's clear to see from the pages of Scottish Home and Country throughout 1959 and 1960 
uh, because not only are there mentions of cleekit glove demonstrations at the rural meeting roundups, but in the summer 1959 issue there is an image of cleekit gloves being demonstrated at the Royal Highland and Agricultural Show in the Handicrafts Pavilion, which is now called the Royal Highland Show, um, which is held at Ingolston each year. Um, uh, and there are even cricket gloves entered into the events craft show for that year at the Royal Highland Show. So how wonderful that in just a few months from Mrs Davis's call for information, these gloves could reach that peak interest and that cricket gloves saw a wee revival happening. In finding these letters, I decided that I needed to try and find out more. So I got in touch with the SWI HQ here in Edinburgh to see if that pattern um, from Scottish Home and Country existed. Uh, sadly, they weren't able to find one from 1959, but they did have a method which was devised by a Miss Fraser, who is actually one of the original respondents from 1959. Uh, there is no date on the pattern, but it was post-decimalisation because it cost 20 pence. Uh, and it states in the pattern that it is, quote, imperative to record these instructions on how to knit these gloves before the pattern is lost. Note the change of language there with knit. Uh, but this pattern does not feature the knit cuff of the 1959 pattern, rather a cleekit cuff. Uh, but that use of language using knit in the, in the introduction is, is interesting. Um, interestingly, the materials call for a cliquing hook. I don't know if the SWRI were able to provide these at this point still with the patterns, but there is no alternative uh, in crochet hook size given. Now, I don't crochet well or clique, but today I will with you. Um, but I asked my friend... Uh, uh, Alison, Dr. Alison Main here, who is, is a brilliant crocheter, if she would uh, try her hand at clicking a glove for me from this pattern. Uh, Alison used a 5mm crochet hook instead of making her own hook, and she used Shetland wool, and I'm sure she's going to tell you all about her experiences um, later. Uh, but this is the glove, and uh, I'm, I'm going to pass it around. Um, Uh, as far as my interests in clicking go, I definitely won't be putting them back in that box with that, with the letters. Um, I, I would like to look at clicking outside of our own archives in relation to other hooked crafts to see where it fits into other crafts in Scotland and not just in Scotland but in other parts of the world. Um, when I started to research gloves and craft, I found that there are other similar hooked crafts Again, there is no more evidence of this craft under these terms in our collections here at the School of Scottish Studies Archive, but believe me, I am looking. Uh, it could be that when recordings were catalogued here, the generic terms knitting or crochet might have been used, where this craft was quite obviously quite different. So my explorer's ears are still open to this and open to finding more information. Um, something I did find here, and found very recently quite by chance, after this event was planned actually, was another series of letters on cricket gloves. 
Uh, I was doing some listing work, going through a box of admin papers from the School of Scottish Studies, and um, the box I was working on was correspondence from the late 50s and 60s, and amongst papers on planned fieldwork trips and requests to use archive collections, there was a folder of letters which was part of a longer correspondence between staff at the Scottish National Dictionary, which used to be housed here in the buildings with the School of Scottish Studies, and the editor of Scottish Women's Country magazine, Miss Isabel Horn. The correspondence began in November 1959, when a member of staff wrote to Miss Horn about the possibility of the Scottish National Dictionary contributing a regular column in Scottish Women Country about Scottish traditional crafts and the origins of words and practices. Um, the staff member, whose name is not clear, but it's not on the copies of their letters, mentions how they enjoyed the recent response to Mrs Davies's cricket glove inquiry. And in the response to the letter, which you will be able to see downstairs, Miss Horn not only agrees to proposed articles, but encloses all of the letters that she received on the topic of cricket gloves. So those 15 letters that were discovered in subject box D2, uh, this was their covering letter. And this is how we came to have them. And my colleague Caroline, who's here, will testify to the exclamation that I made when I read this correspondence and saw the dots join up, or maybe... You know, you could say it's the final link in the crochet chain to find out how those letters actually came to us. And this is just another example of the joy of research and working with collections, another piece of the puzzle that makes you feel like a detective. You'll hear more from me as the day goes on, but uh, in the final slide I want to say thanks for listening, thanks to the School of Scottish Today's Archive, and to my manager, Kirsty Stewart, and my colleagues here for allowing me time to spend with these letters. Uh, thanks to Alison for her amazing glove, and I will just hand After lunch, and after the attendees got the chance to tour the facilities at the School of Scottish Studies Archive, uh, Alison led the group in a clique session, and she had cliqued several um, little clique cuffs as examples for people to uh, see, and then used some of the very basic recipes uh, of instructions to get uh, participants clicking. I wanted to record this, but unfortunately, the, as I said, the recording gods were not with me. <laughs> um, but I met with Alison and also one of the attendees, my colleague and ethnologist, Caroline Milligan. Uh, and we met to sort of refresh our memories of the the craft session and we started by discussing the difference between using a crochet hook and using a handmade hook. We observed that the clicking session had become a focus group of sorts. Participants discussed different ways to hold the materials and discovered different actions to which proved a bit of a revelation actually. We also reflected on how our participation with clicking had connected us in a tangible way to the past, to the women and the man who wrote these letters, putting in writing for the first time presumably what they had just been passed down in practical application. 
It also connected us with those fathers and grandfathers and great-grandfathers who possessed the skills, who had made their own flat hooks to fit their own hands and created gloves for their comfort and for that of their families uh, and made them in stitches and actions which may have been slightly different for each maker. Making creaking a very unique craft and skill indeed. This also made us ask, could this form of craft be something far more ancient? And if so, where are the artefacts? One of the attendees, Stephen, had actually sent in uh, a clique hook that he had made himself. Uh, so that is where we start. So that's interesting. So he's used the what we know of the shape of the clique hook, but he's created this open almost at right angles hook yeah. because of how he was how pulling, he picking it. up the yarn mm. and pulling it towards him, drawing it towards him. But if you did do that more traditional gesture we use in crochet of pushing it through the loop, mm -hmm. that's when you'd need that more pointed, pointed end. end. The, the picture, the drawing, was a very, very mm. tiny hook, mm. which seemed to be the thing that everybody spoke about being quite integral to, but it's really interesting to see to see it made into yeah and to feel it and to feel yeah. it and it does fit nicely in the mm. hand as yeah. well I mean it's it probably wider than a, than well. some of those other hooks were but is that also this is this personalised is this fitting yeah. Stephen's palm yeah probably is so let's go, let's just go back a wee bit and think about how you find the event knowing what you had known about clicking from you know doing it with a crochet hook to a pattern and how you found the event and the sort of it was more like a focus group than a workshop wasn't yeah it? because it was there was so much discussion about how we might be able to go about doing this thing so one of the things that I found in doing the glove initially was it, it was just a mystery I knew it was my interpretation of this 1950s letter which was a description of something even further distant and I just didn't quite know or I wasn't completely confident that I got that interpretation right. I, I, we did a thing and it looked like pictures of the thing but how it was constructed was still a little bit of a mystery so in doing it in the event it was really interesting that people were discovering how they might go about creating this thing um, and what was interesting particularly I think is people were really aware that they were doing something that was not crochet and I think that's one of the most interesting revelations they they felt that in order to complete the stitch they were talking about how the hook might be different they knew the hand gestures were different so people who were really proficient at crochet already were interested in it being in that being different and it wasn't so it wasn't crochet we've had this discussion before and then it's not like mm -hmm. gnarl binding and it's not exactly like what do people call it flat loop flat Flat loop, flat hook, flat hook, uh, flat hook or flat loop crochet. I can't quite remember. So there's some, you know, and and in a way, although we didn't get to the bottom of anything necessarily, and maybe we can't because that's the nature of discovering something in an yeah. archive and wondering what it really meant in 
practice originally. Mm. Um, but just seeing people trying to find their way yeah. to something different was just a really fascinating and, and outcome. Concrete that whole thing from the article about it not being knitting and not no. being crochet, and it being a, 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 even for me as somebody who's crafty, it, it was interesting to go through that process and feel mm-hmm. it was very different to the basic crochet that mm-hmm. I know. That whole thing of holding it in one, one hand. hand the, you know that was a bit alien wasn't it Caroline how did you find it Are you cro- have you crocheted before so I haven't crocheted since I was a bairn <laughs> um, my mum did a lot of crochet so I'm quite familiar with all the materials and the, the hooks and everything and then the wee bits that I would do at school or with her um, so I guess for me um, that side of it was it was a revelation but it wasn't. Um, I didn't. I didn't have that empirical knowledge. I'm learning that with with knitting, that you can learn things because you already know things. You can sort mm-hmm. of discover mm-hmm. and you can recreate. And I haven't got that with knitting, yet. <laughs> <laughs> um, and less so with crochet. But um, I suppose for me, it was more as an ethnologist, um, looking at the evidence and the discussions and mm-hmm. the letters that went back and forward about. You know, people remembering that their their dad, who was a shepherd, had had done mm-hmm. that. They made the clay kit bobs, and just thinking about how, um, although that knowledge is lost to us in this workshop or this room or this university, there probably are lots of people who still, who still know about that, and I it's about it. and the kind of excitement mm-hmm. is that there's still potential to find that out. Yeah. So the material that I'm working with in Dumfries and Galloway, there's quite a lot of shepherds' families who were interviewed for that study. And I just think, oh, there's bound, they're bound to know, there's bound to be people there who just weren't part of the rural or who, yeah. you know, who haven't sort of found that connection yet that would allow us to learn also yeah. directly from them as well as learning through you know, recreating the tools or doing it with a with a body of knowledge that you can recreate, that you can you can work out what they were doing. But it's fascinating, it's fascinating that it's in a way it's so complicated and yet the people who describe it describe it as being something that was all, almost done in a matter of fact way. Yeah. Yeah. But I guess all craft is a wee bit like that. Yes, if you know what you're doing, yeah. it and has a matter of factness about it. But so the idea of the sort of somebody being I can't remember which one of it was the more, one of the more recent things that you found, I think, which was just identifying the idea that and of course every every village or hamlet has someone who makes the gloves. Yes, the glover of the family that um, was a mention, wasn't it? So that that idea of that knowledge being Passed. kept on in pockets that you know I might not think you know I might go go to this and think about craft and um, and working with yarn and actually could the memory of it could be held in as you say all sorts of the different places we don't know and we're talking about how it might be down to how things were catalogued and categorized Mm. and keywords and you know it might have easily been a case that people were talking about creaking them 
Yeah. It was, you know, has gone down in, mm-hmm. in history in a, yes. in a log register yeah. book somewhere yeah. that it was knitting. And there might be samples yeah. all over the place. Yeah. And sorry, I was just going to say, especially in the context of a sound archive, where actually one of the great things about a sound archive is that it captures stuff incidentally. Mm. It yes. doesn't capture what the collector was going out looking for. Well, oh, it does, yes. but it also captures all the stuff of life that's around that. Yeah. But when it's being catalogued. It's being catalogued by people who have that same set of criteria of the collector. So yeah. if it's about Gaelic song, then that's what they're describing that's essentially true. as the Gaelic song. They're not, and it, you know, it's one of the things that um, is so great about now is that with free searches and uh, transcribing being so much easier, etc., that the the possibility of discovering the stuff between the stuff which is the, <laughs> yeah. where, all, where, all, where a lot of the real gems are becomes much more much easier yeah much more uh, possible it does it does so. I, I really like that idea of being able to creatively engage with archive collections so I think it's really interesting from that um, point of view I suppose as a participant, that's what we'd say mm. is the way the workshop or focus group, however you want to call it, <laughs> um, was so fascinating, was that you were completely immersed in both the story and the practice. Yes. So you were very aware while you were trying to do your little bit of click it work, that you were sort of connecting with mm. something that had had sort of fallen out and you were sort of actually physically in the moment of recreating yes. and re-engaging with that, which is a very unique... It's a really um, precious thing and a rare thing. thing it's very unique. Well. Yeah. It's, it's a, a unique thing. Yeah, there's the sort of um, being part of that, that history, making yourself part of it and also perhaps the future of it. That's, but that's quite a powerful thing to feel. Especially when it starts to take shape. I mean, yeah. You know, when you actually see it and you see quickly. the sort of strange kind of look of it and the feel of it, that's quite Because that was interesting, wasn't it, how different it felt as a material mm-hmm. as well, not just different than knitting and crochet, but actually how it feels when you're, when you're making it. I mean, mine, end, mine ended up like a little rosette because I, I just felt it was very, very tight and didn't have mm. the, the, the same sort of... Um, feeling that I've had knitted or crocheted with that same yarn, maybe, or maybe it's just my own gauge, but it was a different muscle memory of, mm-hmm. of, of doing that action as well. It was very interesting to participate with a different craft. Mm-hmm. You're a knitted and a crochet, mm. and you did do various little pieces of clique work. Do you feel like that you've you know got your own method of doing it now, like all of those? Yes, I think it was, and in a way, making the samples for everyone to handle at the workshop helped me with that because um, just doing, you know, little, little little iterations of the of those little cuffs was useful. I have to stop it, and I've just been doing it now with, with this with this um, lovely hook that Stephen sent. But I have to stop and think what it is I'm doing that's different mm. and so I, I guess that means that, that the learning of it, the muscle memory of how to do it just isn't embedded yet. yet but I'm very aware that it is a different gesture with your hand 
and a different way of holding the yarn and the fabric that you're making. And then, as you said, the material, once it starts to develop, you're just very aware that it's a very different kind of fabric that you've created. When you did it, the original glove, you had to work a lot with different hooks. Yes, you? I experimented. So I was using, for ply, I was using um, Jameson's Spindrift, I think. Mm-hmm. Um, and yes, I needed to go up to, I think I ended up making the glove in a five or a five and a half millimetre crochet hook. And it's something about how the tip of the hook needs to go into the loop um, that means you that needs to be a much bigger tool in order for you to be able to manipulate it otherwise it just gets too tight and you could even go bigger and bigger and bigger so I think the samples I made at the workshop were um, double knit on an 8mm hook um, to allow people to see the formation of the stitches really clearly um do you sort of have a feeling that you've either arrived at or will arrive at the point where you can be really super confident that that that's the way it was done that that's the I don't know if I could I'm really interested in experimenting with it so um the suggestion at the workshop of of holding the hook and inserting it in a different way in this this gesture of drawing something towards you rather than pushing, pushing. into it was was a real exciting revelation moment mm, yeah. especially as when we started to play with that it actually created a different slightly different pattern more mm. like a herringbone effect of the stitch and that was a different fabric again which is a little bit more flexible um so i suppose the only difference maybe i think i'd be really interested if we if we ever locate a a physical sample where we can handle something and identify similarities or differences Mm -hmm. with what that fabric looks like I might be more confident but I don't know if that matters I think the the joy of it is is playing playing with it and seeing Um, what happens and I think that that is Probably what is was evident from some of the letters as well is that everybody, or everybody's father or relative, seemed to have a slightly different way of mm. doing it. I mean, that did you know there was the um, majority of people saying holding it in the same hand, mm. but there were some people saying using it going into both the loops at the mm. top, and others saying it slightly differently. So I think that's that nature of oral mm. transmission. And in the material of the hook too, probably. Yeah. So, people who made their hooks from bone. ends of toothbrushes, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> or bone, or bits of driftwood, and the Excellent. size of your hand, and the idea of variation because of those really physical things, and how that might change what you do. And in that way, it feels like it's something more ancient, yeah, because it is so made to fit. Your, you know, the the clicker or the practitioner. It does feel like something that, you know, would have been a very early thing, just by the very nature of it, mm-hmm. and how you make the hooks and the 
fact that there's not anything that's standardised as such in terms of method. It's or um, necessity, I suppose. Yes. Yeah. You know, using the materials that are available yeah. to them widely. And, you know, this collection is on gloves. It's on the art of cricket gloves because Mrs Davis saw gloves. But there yeah, is evidence yeah. of in the letters of cliquing tams and other pieces of, of clothing. So it wasn't just gloves. It'd be interesting to see other other pieces. What would, you know, um, form even larger forms of clothing. Mm-hmm. Or it'd be really interesting to try and find find out more. So it's something that's really piqued my interest. I feel like it's going to be something that I'll be like, you know, you know how people have that sort of abusive <laughs> research thing that I'm always seeking. We'll come back to. <laughs> Will you finish making a little cuff? Yeah, work? that was a great triumph. <laughs> yeah, are you trying it again? Unexpected. No, no. <laughs> <laughs> Actually, well, no, I have been trying to knit as well. <laughs> and I can only do one difficult thing at a time. <laughs> well, it's only difficult until you learn it. <laughs> yes. <laughs> yeah, um, so, no, I haven't, but I enjoyed, I did very much enjoy the experience of trying it. Good. Um, yeah, I don't, I honestly don't have the, the skills or the knowledge to be able to take what I learned and do anything with it. I could knit another little <laughs> uh, wrist warmer. <laughs> of, of a three centimetre long But yeah, wrist translating it into something warmer. else. But transferring it into something that is beyond my ken. But, you know, as for the day and the learning mm-hmm. and the way it was organised and everything, it was a great experience in and of itself. It doesn't Good. really need to... You don't need to pursue yeah. it. <laughs> um, what about you, Alison? Are you going to pursue it? or? Um... I, I'm interested in seeing if I can do that that exact thing of yeah. ta- taking the knowledge of the construction and seeing what else you might be able to do with it. Yeah. Um, it I might think be... you might be able to do a, a, a tam or a, or a hat that may or may not have enough elasticity <laughs> to fall over your eyes I know, or not. That, that, how do you make that? The, uh, making the brim. Make a brim because, yeah. you know, there was that, that you know, letter about that it would never have had a knitted rib or anything mm. like that. So, um, so how would you make it? Quite curious about You know, have you a little elasticity in a mm. brim or anything that needed to... It would obviously make something that would be well-fitting mm. in terms of, like, you know, it would almost stand up by itself if you were to make a jumper. Yeah, thinking, so just a yeah. neck, neck warmer. Yeah. That's another thing I was thinking about, you know, if, you, if you're concentrating on this as something that was very much about craft for labour. Mm-hmm. It, was, it was just part of what you needed to keep you warm while you were working. Yeah. And something like quite an, a fitted uh, neck wrap makes sense yeah it does she needs to get a magnifying glass and look at as many old pictures of shepherds as oh, she can. Oh. <laughs> yeah but it's in you know it sort of it comes around doesn't it so that those letters were about the 50s in the rural magazine and now you're you're the 21st century iteration of, of bringing this back, back into again. the public eye <laughs> and it's like i feel a responsibility <laughs> remember we spoke at the end of the event and said that we wondered if mrs davis was still alive so I did do some digging. There was, 
you know, somebody on the electoral register in Bear's Den and who had the name Millicent Davies. So I got in touch with the local SWRI. You know, if she was a member, or if she was known to members, it would be lovely to, for me to be able to write her a letter. But then eventually I got an email back to say that um, Mrs Davies, who had died quite, you know, in the last couple of years. Uh-huh. So um, they assumed it was her, but it seemed that she was never actually part of the SWRI. She wasn't, like, down in the member roles or anything like okay. that. Um, but it's a shame. Like, I was kind of sad. Cause yeah. I was like, well, had that little glimmer of hope that I might get to meet her and tell her, just even it tell her. Like, the impact that, we were, that this has had even yeah. yeah. That was a bit of a shame. They were really interested in the cricket gloves that the woman I spoke to. So, you know, there's maybe even something about taking the taking the talk to yes. to the SBRIs. Well, I was going to say, I mean, that would be a, probably a very good idea because, the, as I say, I still think there must be folk out there who've got yeah. things stashed in their, yes. their cupboards or yeah. that know, they must look their at memories that yeah. they um, would love the, an opportunity to pass that on, and the. SWRI is not a bad place to start that because yeah. they're the cascade. Although we should call it SWRI now. Oh, sorry. Not our, although that, I believe there are some people who will the not use SWI <laughs> and keep it as the SWRI. Mm. I believe there's a bit of an mm. issue back. Or even just call it, still people still call it the rural. The rural. Yeah, regardless. We used to call it the swirry in Shetland. Um, but uh, that's another thing as well. I, they must have they an must archive, have um, and it was very nice that we got that pattern from one of the office bearers. But you know, they never answered my question about do you have an archive that people can come and have a rummage in? But there must be because you think of all the books that they have and the recipes and yes, the patterns yeah. and the makes and all that kind of stuff. So perhaps need to pursue that um, a little bit more firmly. But um, but yeah, yeah, going to the SWIs perhaps would be a good thing. And maybe pick, you know, places like Borders or like Dumfries and Galloway where... Well, there's a lot of letters from, from the Borders, um, particularly. Um, you know, where they've, they've got a strong tradition of shepherding and they've got a strong tradition of um, good rural membership. Yeah, good uptake. Yeah. Because it's right, I mean, even if people don't know what, the, what it is that they've got in their cupboards, they may know that it's not knitting or crochet, mm. they may know that it's different. So how to draw think, that out? Yeah, when you think of the competitions and things, you know, it's quite possible that someone will remember seeing. I haven't thought about because com- you know competitions, there'll also be records. Yeah, there will be records. Yeah. 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 Archive again. I know. Maybe you know, in in response to this podcast, there will be listeners who will go, "I know what that is. That's what mm. that I've got, or my mother had, or." But again, it could be called something completely different. Yeah. You know, one or two of the letters said, um, I felt sure that what you called clicking was what my father did. So perhaps it didn't have a, a necessarily a name. Mm. That still could still be mm-hmm. regional. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Lots of potential. <sighs> Lots of potential. Lots more research. There must be something in Highland Museum. Yeah. I, you know, did get in touch with, um, someone who also could learn someone else and they just said that there was nothing but I'm sure it's we need to look at, at sample books and see yeah. them in mm-hmm. the fabric and, and look yeah. at just you know yeah, items of textiles yeah. that there might be and because it, uh, then that's a, that's a important process to be able to say that's what that is and mm-hmm. have that categorised and labelled correctly and it, not just for future use but actually given a nod to 
those people who did that class yes. didn't call it crochet. You know, th- maybe they didn't call it clicking, but they definitely didn't call it knitting or crochet. So there's that kind yeah. of ability to be able to try and correct that. And it does kind of, you sort of wonder if you'll find out things about when they did it. You know, was it just yeah. the solitary occupation or, you know, did, was it done in company? Was it done when people were having social mm. gatherings? You know, it's quite... Yeah. That's and quite seasonal activity. Is, well, this a win- is this a winter... Is it a winter yeah. pursuit? A winter pursuit, winter craft win. And were you good at it? Were right. there people who were known to be really good clickers? Mm. You know, was it, or was it something or that... Or enthusiastic? Yeah. Or the, the, the thing that I always find really interesting in, in that that at one point it was predominantly male craft. Now, when we think today of how men in craft are viewed, it oh. and so was that same? Was it something... But it had equal status, didn't yeah. it? It's like, um, you know, making Meaning. the horn, shepherd's crooks, the handles, yeah. and whittling, and all sorts of other things. That other thing would be quite nice to find out about. Was it purely to make something that was useful or, you know, and important, or was it... Also for aesthetics, was it sort of a creative outlet? Was it you know yeah. all those kind mm. of questions? I have to find a really old shepherd. <laughs> that should be your question. Yeah, find a really <laughs> old shepherd. Because <laughs> one of the letters, it, it was specifically sort of identifying that shift, though, wasn't it? Because there was the it was the idea of the grandfather teaching granddaughter is that right because he was aware that this was no longer particularly practiced by men there in was the way that it had been so he was keen to pass it on to her there was that definitely that passing on because i think you're right and there was somebody who said that their their grandfather didn't but their their grandfather did but their father hadn't kept mm. up and he was aware of that passing on and that's it and that was the overwhelming thing from the letters really is that that need to pass it on mm. That the you know that the people were writing the letters because they wanted to pass it on. They were saying, mm-hmm. you know, there were some people who said, if if there is a pattern, please can we have it so that we can demonstrate this to our rural our group. You know, there's that real want to share it, and and again, I feel now that there's a sort of responsibility to to do that too. Mm-hmm. <laughs> definitely, Absolutely. definitely, because yeah, aware they were aware that it was being lost then yeah. in the fifties. You're stopping it from being lost now, Entirely. which is really amazing. And I think it's that kind of thing of, of um, um, you know, when you hear things of, you know, usually in the media, things were gathering dust in our archives. Yeah. And I hate that. I hate that idea that things are stagnant. And yeah. um, I love the idea that this is something that has sparked an interest, not just in me, but in you. And we were able to do this event. And now that's sparked interest with other people. And even if, like, you know yourself, Caroline, who might never pick up a clique hook again. You that have mean I'm not interested. No, exactly. You have it's it's there's yeah. that spark with you it's, as well, that yeah. interest and that that's that with the ethnologist eye mm. as well. But I think it is something that who you know hooks into yeah. you. Pardon the pun, but there's something about it that I keep coming back to it all the time. I do hope that uh, you enjoyed this episode and thank you very much for listening. I want to extend thanks in addition to those I've already mentioned in the talk, but uh, to Caroline Milligan for sitting down with me and Alison, uh, to everyone who attended 
the event. And uh, again, to Alison, um, just an extra vote of thanks uh, for being my colleague in Clique. Um, I would like to thank everyone who participated in that day with us at the archive and who was part of the um, really important clique focus group um, that the craft session turned out to be. I am even more interested in finding out more. There are other crafts uh, which make fabric by way of a flat hook and um, if you have knowledge of this where you come from uh, in your region or country I would really love to hear about it is it something that was done by men is it something that's still done by men how is it passed on where are there written patterns are there evidence of this kind of fabric in museums do you know it by another name or anything would be really interesting I'd ask for you to comment over on the show notes at www.knitbritish.net forward slash ep118 you can also go on over to the knit british group on ravelry and find uh, the thread for this episode and comment in there and you can certainly feel free to try this for yourself as you would have heard i gave out uh, mr Patton's pattern so um, those of you who who want to give it a try i'd love to see um, how you get on The podcast will be back next month. It will be back to a more regular format. We will have our wool exploration with Castle Milk Murat. And I'll also be talking a little bit about um, some events that I will be attending uh, this summer. Until then, take very good care. Bye for now. Thanks for listening to the Knit British Podcast. To find out more, visit www.knitbritish.net. I'm on Instagram as at underscore knitbritish and I'm on Ravelry as Lyra. Why not join us in the Knit British Ravelry group too? Take care of that throat. You're a big